such an amazing morning of worship. They're not supposed to give me chills before I come up here, but they did. Thank you, guys. The music. Am I coming through? There I am. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what you probably shouldn't do after such an amazing morning of worship and being so deep and moving. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start with some jokes. Because why not? So how many of you out there are single today? I know we got some singles in the room. If you're watching online. <laughs> in this world... Physically, in this world, you are a single joy. So if you're, on, if you're watching online and you're single, give me a thumbs up. So I'm going to start today with a little bit of a message for those who are single today. I'm going to try and help you out this morning. I'm going to give you a list of some of the worst pickup lines. So you know what not to do if you're trying to find someone in your life. So if you're single and you want to stay that way, well then write these down because they might help you if you want to stay that way. So are you ready? Here we go. I need a map because I'm getting lost in your eyes. You must be a parking ticket because you've got fine written all over you. I forgot my phone number. Can I have yours? If I were in charge of the alphabet, I would put you and I together. My lenses turn dark in the sunshine of your love. Inheriting $80 million doesn't mean what much when I don't have anyone to share it with. I'm starting to get worried because I think some of you are writing these down. So, a couple more. I hope you know CPR because you just took my breath away. Do you have any Band-Aids? Because I just skinned my knees falling for you. And perhaps my favorite, do you believe in love at first sight, or should I walk by again? So here's a question. This weekend, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. Because on the third day after his crucifixion, Jesus rose again. And a risen Jesus is ready to engage us in a relationship, and he wants us to engage him in relationship. So if you were to meet this risen Jesus walking down the street, and he were trying to start a relationship with you, what would be his opening line? Maybe you could call it his pickup line. What would Jesus say to try to engage you in a relationship? How would he start off that conversation? Well, we get a hint at that by looking at what he said to people shortly after he was resurrected. As you know, we've been in this series, The Untold Story, looking at the Gospel of John, and this is the final installation of this series. It's been 12 long weeks, and I'm looking forward to just a little bit of time off, and I'm looking forward with even more to the messages that some of you are going to bring us. Such as Riza will be preaching next week. So what would Jesus do to engage us? To, and if he saw us after this resurrection, what would he say? What would his 
pickup line, if you will, be? So I want to look at three individuals who represent three classes of people and how he would engage those individuals. The first person he engaged was a crying woman named Mary Magdalene. See, it's not hard to figure out why she was crying. She loved Jesus. He had helped her leave a life of absolute torment. The Bible tells us that she had been a severely sick woman possessed by up to seven demons. But when Jesus encountered her, he healed her and gave her a new beginning in life. She was so grateful for what Jesus had done for her that she devoted herself to his cause, to his ministry, and to his mission. She walked with Jesus. She talked with Jesus. She became a part of that inner circle of his disciples. In fact, she's mentioned 14 times in the Bible in various groups or settings, making her one of the most prominently featured women in the New Testament. She had a front row seat to many of the key scenes in the life of Jesus and even his crucifixion. When the other disciples fled, Mary Magdalene stayed at the cross along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, so that then when his body was taken to a tomb for burial, again, she was there, grieving over the man who had become everything to her. Seeing him arrested, tortured, crucified, she went out again to his tomb that first Easter morning. But the unthinkable had happened. She found that now, even now, his body was gone. She thought that it was as a result of a grave robber, that someone had come to desecrate the tomb, adding even more pain to her loss. So what, what happened next? We find it in John chapter 20 where it says, Mary standing outside of the tomb crying, and as she wept, she stooped and looked in. She saw two white-robed angels sitting at the head and foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been laying. Why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because they have taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they have put him. She glanced over her shoulder and saw someone standing behind her. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you have taken him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will go and get him. Mary, Jesus exclaimed. She turned toward him and exclaimed, Teacher, what a scene. Here we have a woman in the midst of incredible grief, and she hears a voice calling her name. And it was his voice, a voice that let her know that death is not the final word. And if you've ever grieved before that loss of a loved one, this 
matters to you. Because death isn't the end of things. It's not the end of existence, the end of relationships. It's not the end of love. Soren Kierkegaard once compared life to a smooth, flat stone that was thrown over the surface of a pond. The stone dances and skims over the surface until that moment when, when, when it comes like life itself. It runs out of momentum and sinks into nothingness. Is that how life works? Is there no hope for life after death? But we know that's not true because Jesus rose again. And when he did, he wanted to say to everyone who was grieving, everyone that was in the midst of that grief, that death is not the final word. But he had another group that he wanted to talk to. See, then there's a man by the name of Thomas. We generally know him better as Doubting Thomas. But I, I tell you what, that is a bad rap. He shouldn't be called Doubting Thomas. Thomas wanted to believe. He just struggled with it, like a lot of us do. Would I want to be called Doubting Matt? Doubting Thomas he was just Thomas. He was a disciple. He was fiercely loyal to Jesus. There are scenes in the Bible where Thomas made it clear that he was willing to follow Jesus anywhere. But Thomas was just authentic about his struggles and his questions. And if you know anything, authenticity is important to this church. It's one of our key guiding principles that we follow. So authenticity is important. He was authentic about his struggles and his questions, which shouldn't be looked down upon. Particularly when the ups and the downs and the twists and the turns of life bring that stuff to the surface. Because it happens to every single one of us. When we go through a tough time or a tragedy or a setback or a crisis and we suddenly start to re-examine everything in our life, sometimes it will make our faith grow stronger. And other times, it will make us go back and question even our most fundamental beliefs. Most of us keep that inside. We keep it to ourselves, and we don't talk to others about it. But Thomas was up front about that. The worst moment of his life, the one that caused the most confusion in his life was the death of Jesus. And it was as if everything he had ever believed, everything he, he had ever managed to trust, was ripped away from him. Because for him, the death of Jesus was all that he could see. Jesus wasn't supposed to die. It just didn't add up. There was an intellectual disconnect for Thomas. Have you ever had Jesus metaphorically killed in your life? Some people had Jesus killed when they were young. When a father or mother told them about Christianity, but then they saw how little it meant in their everyday lives. So they wrote off Christianity. 
Some people had Jesus killed when they got involved in a church and saw the hypocrisy and said, that's not for me. Some people had Jesus killed when they, were, when they tested the spiritual things, but ran into a bunch of Christians who were legalistic and, and put demand after demand upon them until they just broke and walk away. Some, like Thomas, just saw things, experienced things that made believing just hard. Is that how you feel today? That when it comes to Jesus, that doubt is off limits? That questions aren't allowed? You see, three days after the crucifixion, Jesus presented himself to some of the disciples being resurrected from the dead, but, but Thomas wasn't there that day. So the disciple told Thomas about how Jesus had come to them. This is what they said. He said, he said, I won't believe it until unless I see the nail wounds in his hands. Put my fingers into them and place my hand into the wound in his side. See where Thomas is at? He's not a belligerent skeptic. He's just wounded. He's hurt. He's confused. He's in shock. He's got real issues, real concerns. Ones that I think many of us have had in our lives as well. So what happens? Jesus comes back again to the disciples, and this time Thomas is there. In fact, it was eight, day la eight days later the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly Jesus was standing among them. Then he said to Thomas, Put your fingers here and see my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe, my Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. See, I love that scene. Jesus appears and turns immediately to Thomas. Not to condemn him. Not to say, why don't you believe, Thomas? But, but to say, Thomas, I am big enough for your doubt. I'm big enough for your questions. Here I am. Check me out. And Thomas did. And in the end, Thomas believed. If Jesus was who he says he was, then it will stand up under any amount of intellectual scrutiny. You don't have to check your brains at the door when you come to church. There are no questions that are off limits. If you have your doubts, if you have your questions, Jesus says, bring them. He's big enough for those doubts and questions. There's one final group that Jesus wanted to talk to. Finally, he went to a man by the name of Peter. Because he had one more thing he wanted to speak to. He wanted to speak to failures. I came across a book that's called The Book 
of failures. Not exactly a motivational read, but if you want to maybe make yourself feel better by reading about a bunch of failures, maybe it is motivational. It was filled with all kinds of failures by all kinds of people. And one of the people it talked about was a guy by the name of Arthur Piedrick, who had patented 162 inventions, but not a single one of them was successful. Such things as a car that can be driven from the back seat. Or a golf ball that could be steered mid-flight. Now, if you've ever golfed with me, I think that one would have been a, would have been a great one because I could have used that because my balls always seem to go way over to the right. The one that I could control would have been nice. But every single one of those inventions, all 162 of them, failed. But perhaps my favorite story in that book was a story of a group of British firefighters who were called out to this elderly lady's home in South London because her cat had been stuck in the tree. So they arrived and they, they rescued the cat. And the lady was so thankful that she invites them in for a bit of tea. They went in, they had the tea, and another round of thank yous as they get ready to leave. And as they back their fire engine out of the driveway, they run over the cat. Most failures are painful. They're wounding. They leave scars that throb with pain. When you talk to people about what they consider failures before God, you'll hear things like a divorce or a bankruptcy, a DWI, an abortion, an arrest, having an affair. What a lot of people want to know is where is God when we fail. Which is why the third person Jesus goes to is Peter. Peter was one of the most intimate members, followers of Jesus. He had been personally called by Jesus to come and to follow him, and he had. Peter had spent three years with Jesus, day in, day out, by his side, listening and learning, and, and, and was molded by Jesus watched all of those miracles, watched every move that Jesus had made, mentored, molded, developed into a life that should have been so impactful for three years. And then in a short time, but a landslide of events, Jesus is betrayed by Judas. He's arrested. He's taken into custody by the authorities. And Peter follows at a distance. But then he's recognized. When confronted and said, weren't you with him? Weren't you, aren't you one of his followers? Peter denies him. Completely denies ever even knowing who Jesus is. Not once, not twice, but three times. No matter what you've done in your life. No matter what you've experienced, I can't imagine a more total and complete failure than Peter. Three times denied even knowing him. And it wasn't just a moral failure. It was a complete spiritual breakdown. Everything his life had been about, everything he had committed himself to, 
Everything he had pledged himself to was renounced in a single night. So what happens to Peter after the resurrection? What would Jesus say to someone who is completely and totally screwed up in every way imaginable? Well, we know. Because if Jesus went to Peter, and and here's the conversation, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know that I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. Once more, he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Then Jesus told him, follow me. Interesting question, isn't it? Do you love me? Not, Peter, what in the world were you thinking? Not, are you sorry for what you've done? Not, do you promise that you'll never do that again? But, Do you love me? You see, God loves us. No matter how much of a failure we are, he still loves us. The real issue is whether we will love him back. If you think Jesus is more interested in your screw-ups than your heart, You're absolutely wrong. His biggest concern, no matter what you've done in your life, is this. Are we going to be in a relationship? Are you going to love me and let me love you? That's what he wants to know. You see, what I love about this, the three groups that he's been talking to, those who grieve, those who doubt, and those who are failures, we all fit those categories, don't we? We all grieve. We all doubt, and we all fail. I've failed this church. There are people, for so long, I was, all I cared about was, does this service run smoothly? So that when people were sitting in here and needed someone to talk to, someone to care, I was too busy trying to make sure the service would go off without a hitch, and I wasn't there for them. When members started to have doubts, I wasn't there to help them with those doubts. I've failed Jesus more than I would like to admit. But just like Peter, Jesus, all he asks is, do you love me? Jesus is is wanting Peter to know, and he wants me to know, and he wants you to know that God is the God not only of the second chance, 
or the third chance, or the fifth chance, or even a hundred chances. He will never give up on us. He wants to forgive us. He wants to restore us. He wants to be close to us. He wants to accept us. Beginning right where we are, failure and all. But do we want to be close to Him? You might be thinking, well, if that's who Jesus really is, then absolutely I want to be close to him because so many of us were taught of a different Jesus, a judgmental Jesus. Jesus is not judgmental. He accepts us, failure and all. That's why he went to Peter. That he wants to come to you just like Peter, and to give us an opportunity to start over. So if you've ever thought to yourself, Jesus rose from the dead, so what? Everything. He can speak to your grief. He can speak to your doubt, and he can speak to your failures. He can speak to you about anything and everything in your life. Because it, di- it didn't end on that Friday when he was crucified. It didn't end that day. It didn't end on Friday because Sunday came and he was resurrected. And that's when Jesus came back to let people know that when you face grief, that when you face doubt, that when you face failure, remember one thing. He's not in the grave anymore. He arose. He's a living Savior who is there for each and every one of us. Heavenly Father, thank you that you sent Jesus to this earth to die for my sins, to die for all the times I've failed you, for all the times I've grieved, for all the doubts that I have. Jesus came to reach us right where we're at. He came to take all those sins on his shoulders so that we can enter into a relationship with us. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. All we have to do is answer the simple question, do you love me? In Jesus' name, amen.